So, you know, kind of like I, I, I started to mention in the prayer, you know, Mother's Day uh, is probably the, the toughest day of the year to preach. Uh, primarily because Mother's Day can be a minefield of so many different emotions for so many people in church. Uh, you know, some of us uh, had or, or maybe even still have painful relationships with our mothers. So thinking of them on a day like today is tough. Some of you are mothers, and maybe your kids or your grandkids aren't walking with the Lord, uh, or, or maybe you're estranged from them for one reason or the other. And, and that causes a, a special kind of grief on Mother's Day. Uh, some of you ladies wanted to be mothers and, and aren't or, or can't be, and that leads to another kind of grief. Some of us had, had great mothers, but they've gone to be with the Lord like mine, and we miss them particularly today. And of course, some of us still have our wonderful mothers and still have a great relationship with them. But you can see that with all of these potential realities here this morning, it makes a, a very real challenge for any pastor who would focus on Mother's Day as the theme of a sermon. But there is one thing that we all have in common. Uh, regardless uh, of where you might fit into that minefield I described, and that is by God's sovereignty, we all have mothers. Right? Uh, mothers that he used to give us life, whether they turned out to be great moms or, or terrible moms or something in between. Uh, and the Bible is clear that we are to honor our mothers, but that we are to do it in a way that reflects back honor onto the Creator. The, the Creator who gave them to us and who... Uh, created them in his image and our lord gives us a perfect example of that in this very very short text they're going to be looking at this morning coming to us from the gospel of luke luke chapter 11 verses 27 and 28 all right so you're not gonna have a hard time reading the scriptures this morning not very long but i encourage you to look at it in your bibles anyway uh it's important to have your bibles with you at church even though it's on the screen and so uh, this is the, the word of the Lord to us from Luke. He tells us, as he, meaning Jesus, was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came, the breasts that nursed you. Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we're here to do that this morning. Uh, we are here to hear your word. Uh, we're here to not just let it pass through uh, one ear and out the other, but we're here to, to hear it in our hearts, to hear it in our minds, in our very souls, because you said uh, that your sheep hear your voice, and they listen and they follow. And so we're here to hear you, Jesus. Speak uh, and make us to listen and to follow your will, for it's in your name and for your sake we pray. Amen. So in, in this very uh, brief encounter, uh, a woman is brought to our attention whose name and history we know absolutely nothing of. She's just a certain woman. What, one woman in a crowd of people, but in a very real sense, she represents the dignity and value of every woman in the sight of our Lord. And she gives us a great perspective on the kind of relationship that God the Father desires to have with women of every age and every ethnicity and every vocation. And so just to kind of to set the scene here for you, to set up the story, in the beginning of Luke 11, if you look back in the chapter, Jesus has been preaching and, and teaching. He's performing miracles. 
he taught his men to pray, introducing the pattern that we call the Lord's Prayer. And he went on to explain the goodness of God in hearing and answering our prayers. And he actually said in, in chapter 11, verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so Jesus, uh, he actually went on from there, from that sermon, to heal a man. Uh, a man who had been possessed by a powerful demon, a, a demon who had stolen the man's ability to speak. And Jesus set him free and, and restored his speech. An incredible miracle, to be sure. Only to find that the religious leaders of the day just wanted to pick apart and criticize Jesus instead of giving praise to God for the great signs they had just witnessed. And so it's with, with all of this going on around him, all the responsibilities that Jesus had to his men, uh, all the compassion that he felt for the sick that were being brought to him, uh, all of the trouble and, and tension the scribes and Pharisees heaped on him, that he still took the time to speak to just a woman in the crowd. A brave woman, really, if you think about it, because calling out to a rabbi in public in the midst of his ministry, in the midst of a sermon, and in a day and culture where she lived could have just as easily uh, brought her dirty looks from the disciples, or scolding from the crowd to be silent, or an angry rebuke from the teacher. But instead, our Lord found in her remark a great lesson, and in his wisdom, he turned the incident into a perfect little homily on motherhood and on pleasing God, and, and a, a public statement about God's love for women. And, and the encounter is also instructive because it shows us that no matter who you are, whether you're world-renowned or you're just a face in the crowd, God can use you and your prayers. Because that's what this unnamed woman was really doing, right? She, she was praying. She was offering a prayer. She said, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came, the breast that nursed you. So she's, she's asking God to exalt and extol and commend the mother of Jesus just on the basis that she was the physical mother of Jesus. But Jesus gently corrects her, and, and his reply shows that while he had great love and respect for his earthly mother, Mary's blessing comes not from any internal, intrinsic worth of her own, and not even from the holiness of the son that she bore, but through hearing and keeping the word of God. And, and just like Jesus in this passage, we Protestants, especially we Reformed believers, don't elevate Mary above anyone else, but rather look to her as a woman of great faith and prayer that serves as an example to us, just like all the other great women of the Bible. Right? Think, of, think of women like Sarah and Hannah and Esther and Rachel, women of complete trust in the power and sovereignty of God and nothing else, even in the midst of difficult situation. And that's really a lesson to all of us, um, you know, we, not to base our standing with God on our parents or on our grandparents. It's individual because a genuine relationship and true blessedness with God doesn't come from your mother having been a deaconess or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor's wife or anything else. True blessedness comes from hearing and keeping the Word of God.
Uh, and for you ladies in the church, don't forget just your relationship with the Father alone is no guarantee that your children will remain in the faith. Only God can call a person to himself. Uh, only Christ can change a heart. Only the Holy Spirit can bring the fruits of repentance. And, and yes, you have a huge and formative role to play in your children's lives. But at the same time, I don't want you to uh, keep trying to play God yourself, right? You can only go so far. Uh, and then you have to trust God to do the rest. And, and it may not happen quickly. And it may not happen in exactly the way that you might think. And I, I want to build on that idea just a little bit uh, in the time I have left by giving you a, a glimpse into the lives of three other just certain women. Uh, just simple, unassuming, God-fearing women living out lives of obscurity in difficult circumstances, but whose prayers and whose patient searching of the Scriptures impacted not only what you're going to see is the unlikely intersection of all of their individual lives, but women whose children are still impacting the shape of Christendom today, hundreds of years later. Okay, so the first, first is from the mid-1700s. There lived a, uh, an extremely ordinary woman who everyone simply called Mama Newton. Her, her hair, they said, was a halo of silver. Her hands were worn with calluses. Her cheeks were very often stained by tears, and every day and every night you would find little Mama Newton in her sparse and tiny room hanging over her washtub and crying and praying for her son John. Uh, now John had run away uh, from home as a rebellious teenager, and in 1743 while he was going to visit some friends, he was captured and conscripted into the British Royal Navy. Uh, he became a, a midshipman aboard uh, the HMS Harwick, uh, but because of his drinking and his lack of discipline, he couldn't cut it there, and so he deserted. But he was quickly caught and returned and stripped of his rank. But by now, after all he'd been through, he had become a hardened infidel, uh, and his life went on from bad to worse, until he found himself eventually working with the crew of African slave traders. But all this time, day and night, Mama Newton kept praying that God would save and use her wayward son for his kingdom. And she clung tenaciously to the power of prayer to bring that about and for the conversion of her son. Until one day, God answered that prayer of Mama Newton. He answered it on the particular day that John found a copy of the Gospels on board the ship. And he picked it up and he read it. And he thought, what if this is all true? What if this is all true? And the thought terrified him. But he, he went to his hammock that night as usual, having decided to put the question out of his mind until suddenly after midnight he was awakened by the crash of waves. Uh, waves from a storm that had arisen, uh, a terrible storm actually that swept over the vessel and suddenly his cabin started filling with water. And as it did, John's life flashed before him and he, and he saw himself in that moment as a guilty sinner in the hands of a holy God. And in the midst of that mortal danger, he began to cry out, my mother's God, God of mercy, have mercy on me. And in that moment, he was reborn and he began the process of conversion from drunken, godless sailor to become John Newton, the evangelical pastor. The pastor who at age 
54 penned the immortal lines of a hymn that's been called the Christian National Anthem, uh, a hymn that actually Newton entitled Faith's Review and Expectation, but that we all know better by its opening lines, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? How sweet that sound. That same sound that our Lord intended that unnamed woman in the crowd to hear when he said to her, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Just like John Newton did for the rest of his life. And Jesus' reply that day shows that true blessedness does not just come through passive listening, but through active hearing and keeping. Because he is not enough to just audibly receive God's word because unless the hearing turns into action, it's meaningless. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 26 uh, says it like this. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what he says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. See, true blessedness doesn't come from simply sitting mindlessly through church services and Sunday school lessons, but from hearing and keeping the Word of God. Because, church, if what you hear on Sunday morning doesn't impact the rest of your week, let's be honest, it's meaningless. Because, says Jesus, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Right? Who, who keep it like another certain woman that I want to tell you about. An ordinary pastor's wife in a tiny little hamlet in the south of England, a lady by the name of Mary Unwin. Uh, Mary lived the day-in, day-out life of a parish pastor's wife all throughout the, the years of her husband's ministry, uh, caring for the, the sick and needy of the flock, including, history tells us, a man by the name of William Cooper. Uh, now, this Cooper fellow had been privileged to be born the son of a prominent uh, father who was an English clergyman uh, and a mother who was descended from English royalty, and so he was educated in all the best schools and prepared for the life of an attorney. And he was brilliant. But in spite of his intellectual achievements, William Cooper was physically frail and emotionally very sensitive throughout his childhood, uh, in part because of the death of his mother when he was only six years old. And uh, unable to properly deal with the, the grief that he experienced as a small child, it stayed with him throughout his whole life. Uh, he actually never stopped grieving for his mother. And, and even though he, he passed his law examination, was licensed as a lawyer, the prospect of him having to appear before the bar for his final exam uh, frightened him to the extent he had a mental breakdown from which he never fully recovered. And, and as a result, he never practiced law. And at one point, uh, he was even placed in an insane asylum for a period of 18 months. Uh, later, though, after a, a partial recovery of his depression and, and unable, of course, to live on his own, uh, Cooper was invited to move into the home of a retired evangelical minister, a guy by the name of Morley Unwin. It's a home that... Uh, where he got the necessary spiritual encouragement from Reverend Unwin, and he got the medical care and love that he needed from his wife Mary, until suddenly things took a turn for the worse. Five years into his retirement, Reverend Unwin died, and he left his widow Mary 
uh, and that ward that they had taken in without a steady income. But you know what? Her faith never wavered. She just continued to hear the word of God and to put it into practice. Uh, in, in what was right in front of her, waiting on God to answer that need. Until the answer finally came. It arrived in the form of a letter. A letter from an old acquaintance of her husband, an acquaintance by the name of none other than Mama Newton's son, the Reverend John Newton. This one-time sailor and slave trader turned clergyman, and in the letter, Reverend Newton invited Mary, her immediate family, and her ward, William Cooper, to move to the market town of Only, England, and into a, a small house whose backyard joined the parsonage yard, uh, where Newton and his family lived, and it was here that through the providence of God, and in answer to Mama Newton's prayers, her lifelong prayers, and dedication to God's word, that John Newton became the spiritual father to William Cooper, and to become a real source of needed inspiration to help him continue to overcome his mental depression and his emotional issues. Uh, and in time, Newton and Cooper became close friends, and not just close friends, but co-workers in the kingdom, working together actually in writing religious poetry for Lord's Day services of the church, poems they transformed into hymns, uh, and one particular one that Cooper composed while he was sitting at his desk, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he began to pen the comforting words that I'm sure you're going to know. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And Cooper was able to write that because of people like Mrs. Unwin who had so lovingly cared for him, people who had heard the word of God and put it into practice. Uh, and ladies, that can't happen in a vacuum. It's not found in seclusion. God's word can only be put to use in community. In the community of fellow disciples who love God and love others. Uh, and, and yes, hear, hearing of the word can be done individually. But it should also be done in the context of a congregation. And while it is true that salvation is exclusively an intimate, personal thing. Just between us and God. The Bible is clear that that personal relationship must be brought into the gathered worship of the church so that our personal relationship with God can foster a personal relationship with one another. Later on in the, the later 1700s, William Cooper and John Newton continued to write hymns. Uh, they eventually collaborated on a whole volume of them. and They, they were so very talented in their writing uh, and in their combined efforts, they produced and published a book of 349 hymns publishing uh, a hymnal that became one of the most important contributions to musical worship uh, in evangelical Christianity. Hymns that helped fuel and spark the two great awakenings. Uh, and hymns that would have also reached the ears of another certain woman, uh, an unassuming Christian woman of that time period, a woman by the name of Susanna. Uh, a woman, actually, that not many of you ladies would willingly want to trade places with. Because behind the doors of her home, hopeless conditions were the norm. She married a man who couldn't manage money. They disagreed on everything from finances to politics. They had 19 children. But all except 10 died in infancy. Uh, her husband, Sam, left her to raise the kids alone for long periods of time, leaving sometimes over... Something as uh, just as silly as a little argument. 
one of the children was crippled. Another one couldn't talk until he was nearly six years old. And, and Susanna herself was desperately sick for most of her lives. Her life, rather. There was hardly uh, ever enough money for food or anything else, so debt plagued them. So much so that her husband, Sam, was once thrown into debtor's prison because their, their debt was so high, which only doubled their problems. Uh, twice, the homes where they lived burned to the ground, lo losing them everything that they owned. But Susanna heard the word of God at a very early age and put it into practice every day of her life. You see, when she was young, she had promised the Lord that for every one hour she spent in leisure, she would give him one hour in prayer and in the word. Uh, but as you probably guessed, when she was married, taking care of the house and raising so many kids uh, made that commitment nearly impossible to fulfill, uh, mainly because there was no personal time left for anything, leisure or otherwise. She worked their family garden. She milked the cow. She schooled her kids. She managed the entire household herself. But after a few months of doing that, she, she just decided she was going to commit to give the Lord two hours a day in prayer. Two hours. No matter what. But she struggled to find a secret place to get away with the Lord. <laughs> so, so she warned her children that when they saw her uh, sitting in her chair with her apron up over her head, that meant she was in prayer and she couldn't be disturbed. And so for those two hours a day, she devoted herself to her walk with Christ and to praying for her children and praying for, for herself and for her kids to have a deep knowledge of God's word no matter how hard life was or how busy she got. Because in the end, she knew that one day uh, her hard life would be over and she would stand before the throne of God and give an account for how she had lived. And, and when Susanna uh, did that, she could say she had heard God's word. She could say that she knew his son. That she lived out her life in light of it and passed on to future generations as her son, John Wesley, continued to live out her legacy and preach to nearly a million people in his career, including when he was at age 70 delivering a gospel message of salvation in Christ to 32,000 people in one place without the use of a microphone. And so what I hope you see in all of these certain women's lives is, you know, on the one hand, you can be the best mom, the, the best wife, the best woman in the world, and you can still have significant hardships. That's okay. You can live out your, your faith and your life and maybe never see the results of it here on earth. That's okay too. But in spite of that, and what I want you to see is that in every mundane motherly task, you recognize the eternal cosmic significance that God has placed on you and on what you do as a mother. D doing it for the, the kingdom as a woman of the word. A, a woman who truly hears and obeys. And that God would help you to understand that the most radical, world-changing events may be happening silently and anonymously right inside the lives that your life influences. Right? Whether they be children or, or grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren or, or, or no relation at all. And that when you're tempted, ladies, to feel like just a face in the crowd, like you have no more role to play in the world now that you're retired or or maybe homebound, or you feel like you're out of touch with our rapidly evolving culture, I just want you to think about that certain woman who called out to Jesus in the crowd that we're still talking about over 2,000 years later. And I want you to think about women like Mrs. Unwin taking in a, 
a sickly, hard luck case, or a woman like Susanna Wesley who didn't always know where her next meal was going to come from. And remember that sometimes, actually, probably many times, God uses the most ordinary, humble, and yet extraordinary women to change the world. Just like old Mother Newton and her washtub prayers that launched this whole story. Women that God used to change the lives of so many. Uh, one author actually wrote along these lines. He said, I, I love this little, uh, it's not actually a poem, but it's a little, um, little article. He wrote, the most important person on earth is a mother. She cannot claim the honor of having built Notre Dame Cathedral. She need not. She's built something far more magnificent than any cathedral. A dwelling place for an immortal soul in the tiny perfection of her baby's body. The angels have not been blessed with such a grace. They cannot share in God's creative miracle to bring new saints into existence. Only a human mother can. Mothers are closer to God the Creator than any other creature. God joins forces with mothers in performing the act of creation. What on God's good earth is more glorious than this, than to be a mother? And ladies, to do it for the sake of the kingdom. Living for Jesus, loving her family, and leaving behind a legacy of faithful obedience to those who hear her daily reading and speaking and praying the word of God and seeing her put it into practice. Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you uh, for godly mothers all through history who have, uh, have read and, and heard and, and shared your word. We thank you for the legacy that they've passed down to us. Uh, Father, we ask that you would help us to honor uh, our mothers and all the women of the church as they seek to live out godly lives before you uh, in this time and place. And so, Father, we ask you to be now with all of us. Uh, if there's even one here, uh, lady or otherwise, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would surprise them by the power of your presence, that you would uh, open closed eyes, that you would unstop closed ears, that you would crack open hard hearts, uh, and that your Holy Spirit would reach out right now and do the work for which you have called us to preach, uh, calling folks to repent and believe the gospel. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.